hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> January 13th, and welcome to Season 14 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of Young Adult Cancer. I'm your co-host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 18-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. My fabulous co-host, Annie Goodman, is off for the night, recovering from a recurrence of cancer. We wish her all the best and send her lots of love. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listen to the archives on stupidcancershow.org. All right, kicking off Season 14 in style with a 30-minute exclusive interview with famed New York Times Emmy Award-winning blogger, speaker, and young adult survivor advocate, Suleika Jouad. Joining her will be her longtime boyfriend, Seamus McKiernan from the Huffington Post. And in our Survivor Spotlight tonight, Chris Brewer, Deputy Director of External Affairs at Livestrong and Long-Term Young Adult Cancer Survivor. And I'm Maureen Sweet, Chief Everything Else Officer until tomorrow at Stupid Cancer. And I will be live tweeting throughout the broadcast at Chemodex. So send me your questions and feedback at any time using hashtag SCRadio. That was very vague, Maureen. Right? What's Where happening tomorrow? <laughs> she's, she's going to the moon tomorrow. Oh, my God. Goodbye, she's everybody. an astronaut now. <laughs> your, Maureen's getting a, um, a, a promotion. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit of a promotion, and I'm getting an underling, so I can't officially say that I'm doing everything else because I have things that I can push off now. Yes. That's cool. So um, you, you, you chief most everything else officer. I'm chief a lot of stuff <laughs> officer. <laughs> i have to take up something that has I think that means I have even less to do now. <laughs> <laughs> keep them coming. So the 500 bucks that we got today uh, is going to go to your alcohol budget. Yes, keep so it even, coming. Even better. Right, that Money well spent. Really well. Donor dollars well spent. Yep. So, um, yeah, we are welcoming tomorrow human being number six Yes. to Stupid Cancer, Mallory Rivera. Yes, we're very excited she to have her. She is amazing. We're very excited to have that. It's going to be good. Yeah. 
looking forward to it. Yeah. And I will be taking on some more programs and operations stuff. So I'm not going anywhere. I'll probably still live tweet. So you won't have to miss me, everybody. We're still a tiny special family. <laughs> anyway, Happy New Year to both of you. Happy now, New you may, Year. Maybe just you, Maureen. Yes. <laughs> Mediocre New Year to you, Kenny. I noticed yes. you didn't submit your what I did on my winter vacation report to the teacher. You know, I didn't, um, and so I'm going to fail for that. <laughs> but uh, what did I do for winter vacation? I went to Ohio. Mm-hmm. Surprise, I'm from Ohio. Everyone knows that. Right. Um, so, yeah, I went home, which was really good. Saw my family, saw a high school friend I hadn't seen in about five years, so that was pretty cool. Caught up with him. Um and then came back to New Year's in Harlem, which is pretty cool, and then came straight back to work. How about you guys? You survived New Year's in Harlem. I did. New Year's in Harlem. It's a good time. I'd highly recommend it's it. It's a good neighborhood now. Yes. I mean, it's like unaffordable to live there these days. It, depending on where you are. Yeah. I was in a really cool apartment. I loved it. Ridiculous. Kenny, you took a uh, actual human being off-the-grid vacation. I did. First time in how many years? Uh, I guess since I was hired. So what is that? Four. Four years, yeah. Um, I feel like he deserves applause for that. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I'll give you... I'll give you uh, the little one. This little I don't, one. I don't want the big one. He wants the golf clap. <laughs> yes. Oh, that works, too. Yes. Yeah. My blind faith in you. <laughs> That's what that is. So you went out to Texas? Yeah, I put a thousand miles on a car over the course of a week. That's incredible. Traveling all around central Texas and then uh, to and from Austin. You weren't ever, like, truly off the grid, but you were about as off the grid as I've seen you. Well, when you don't have service, <laughs> in 90% of the places you're staying, you are off the grid. Yes, exactly. He literally left the grid. Right. Yes. It's gone. Yeah. When, when you're on those roads where you see the big sign that says, like, you know, Joe Smith Ranch, <laughs> and then you don't see another sign for an hour. Next gas station, 300 miles. Exactly. Yeah. I kept telling Lauren, I was like... Should we be getting gas? <laughs> I, have, I have three quarters of a tank. Do I need gas? <laughs> <laughs> I kept topping off. I've been on those trips, yeah. Well, the Stupid Cancer Road Trip, that's one of the main things you have to focus on when you get west of, like, I don't know, Nashville, right. Tennessee. Where do you fill up? Yeah. yeah, it spreads out. You you get to New Mexico, and it's like, next rest stop tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I could write a book about it. Yeah. Anyway. Well, congratulations to you. You got written up. Your blog was written up as like one of the top coolest blogs or oh, something like some, that. Something today. ridiculous. Yeah. Some list. Well, good for you. Thank you. It'll, it'll add to my already uh, artificially inflated ego. Yes, and I think we also won best blog of the year by Newswire or Newsline News, or something yeah, like that. We, one of the news places definitely <laughs> liked Look our at us being all blog. jerks about it. <laughs> for, like for some the, great some place, man, is number one. For our extensive coverage of <laughs> symposiums. Yeah, right. <laughs> I like the uh, I like the description of it. What was yeah. it? You have it? No, hey, hey, it, pulling it, up. it was just something about like for their you know for their descriptions of their activities on the road. Right. Oh yeah, we <laughs> go on the road and Wait. describe our activities. Uh, true. Yeah, those two things we definitely do on this yeah. blog. Yeah, well it's pretty cool though. We like recognition. Check it's out our good. blog, stupidcancerblog.org is probably not the website for it. What no. is it? Stupidcancer.org/blog. Yes. Yes. We'll, go we'll, to that we'll one. We'll fix the other one down the road eventually. Sure. It probably works. And we brought back the Stupid Cancer Forums, which is nice. Yes. They went yes. down for hacking, and we're coming back now stronger than ever. Yep. Bigger and yeah. better. They're going... They're MZ, tell us about your... You never told us about Jewish Christmas. How'd that go? Yeah. Jewahama Christmahana Kwanzaa, right? Which sure. <laughs> no, it was great. The kids got there. Well, Hanukkah was like during Thanksgiving, so this is more like a... We're in, 
we're not Christian but enjoy Santa kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or we're not Catholic but enjoy Santa kind of stuff. So Brooklyn is like the home of the gaudy house lights. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Diker Heights is where like the most gaudy... The places that have no yard and no porch but somehow can still put inflatable. Right, out. it's like the Clark Griswold Christmas vacation house mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, and it's really the kids, you know, they're, they're going to be four now. They can understand things like that. So went for a tour and they saw the lights and they loved the snow because it snowed last year, but they were two and they had no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. But they did snow angels and they, it was great. Really Next year, you should decorate your little balcony thing, <laughs> and then without warning, just light it up. <laughs> Jews! <laughs> exactly. That'd we'll be, be the giant terrible. menorah on the shelf there. Yeah, you could. Yeah, elf on the shelf, menorah on the shelf. <laughs> it's watching you. Well, I'm excited. We have. Um, I've already lined up like pretty much half the season already through the end of uh, April. Yeah. And we've got some incredible shows coming up for everyone uh, going forward. Again, stupidcancershow.org is your one-stop shop to see the upcoming broadcast, and you can always subscribe if you can't listen live on iHeartRadio or iTunes. But we've got shows coming up on immunotherapy next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's January, so cervical cancer awareness. Uh, Stupid infertility, always a popular show to talk about. Uh, single fathers of cancer. We don't do bereavement a lot, so we're doing a show on single fathers of cancer. Um, uh, Dr. S. Lachlan John from uh, Stanford is back to give her, her, us her anthropological intelligence on the state of the state in cancer and healthcare. Mm-hmm. Dan Pallotta, returning champion, coming back to the show. His infamous TED Talk has 3 million views now nice. on how to re- we reform. Only 2 million of them are you. Yes, they're all half of <laughs> Yes, they're two-thirds of mine, definitely. And uh, we're doing a show. There's a guy named Dr. Robert Zembrowski from Connecticut who was a like was a like terminal blood cancer patient. He survived, and now he's like this amazing MD fitness guy, and he's got a great story to tell. Cool. And then all of April is OMG Cancer Summit speakers and uh, panelists and experts. Nice. Subject matter expertise. Look at us go. I know. We're look at us. It. Wow. We're killing Season it. Season 14. This is show 291, right? 291. Yeah, what is that all about? I have no idea. Remember the days when I had my USB uh, globe of a microphone? And you sounded like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you sounded like this. With the radio show, it's just two tin cans and a string. Yeah, well, pretty much that's kind of what it was, exactly. <laughs> and anyway. you were like, Monday! <laughs> well, I had one listener on the first show, and it was Jess, because she was in the next bedroom. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was your dad. <laughs> God, May 28th, 07. Jesus, a long time ago. Anyway, let's uh let's kick off the show, season fourteen, yeah, with our first guest here. I'm stoked. He's never been on the show. I've known the man for a thousand years. Uh, we're about a thousand years old, each, both of us too. He claims he's an older man, but he looks younger than me. I'll hold it against him. Chris Brewer, deputy director of external affairs at Livestrong, is a seventeen year testicular cancer survivor. I beat him by one year. And one of the original folks at the Livestrong Foundation. He's founded a testicular cancer resource center in nineteen ninety six and is a retired master sergeant from the Air Force, and he could probably kill a man 80 ways without even trying. Welcome to the show, Mr. Dr. Chris Brewer. Hello, sir. That's, uh, that's quite the introduction. Uh, good to be here. Yes, I'm really excited. I have to apologize. We, I can't believe you've never been on the show across 290 other broadcasts. Well, I guess it's just uh, you know it's just one of those things where you just have to like like fine wine. It's just an aging process, and uh, as as a veteran young adult uh, cancer survivor, I guess it's just my time now. Right, and, and Doug's been on the show three times, so we could say beauty before age. 
Oh, wow. You really had to tell me that? Wow, that <laughs> he's younger than me, too. I can't believe it. Anyway, he's been giving us nice shout-outs on the web for, for tonight's show. We hope we have a nice uh, group of people listening. So, uh, well, it's really good to be here, and uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful full moon evening uh, here in Austin, and hey, it's, it's a balmy uh, 60 degrees, and uh, yeah, life's good. I, uh, you and I share something interesting is that we were both diagnosed during the Clinton administration when life and the universe was entirely different for people like us at our age, um, even in general for cancer. So I would love if you would just kick it off by painting the picture of what it was like to be a young adult like I was in 1996, diagnosed with cancer, testicular cancer? Well, I would say that the, I think, because I, I had a, a career in the military and I was halfway through my career, they, they really did outstanding uh, state-of-the-art uh, uh, treatment, but how I was treated as a person was almost identical to how they would treat any older person with cancer. And so my quote unquote, uh, you know, uh, bunk mates uh, on a chemo ward in a military hospital at Wilford Hall, which was a, an outstanding or is an outstanding medical facility uh, in San Antonio, was, was really hard mentally. Uh, because when you th think about it, who has cancer that has a military background? It's usually aging veterans. And so like I was, my first roommate was a Marine who was in World War II and island hopped on Guadalcanal and Iwo Jima. And I used to watch the, uh, the older guys with lung cancer uh, take their poles and go outside and have cigarettes and talk about the old days kind of stuff. And meanwhile, I'm a 33-year-old athlete, you know, trying to get through the cancer experience. And it was, it was mentally really, really tough. Which is still typical today where young adults are treated in facilities with a huge age disparity. Uh, going on. Well, and I think that's that's a, in a way, it's understandable because you know at at the end of the day, you know, fortunately, a lot of young people don't get cancer, but I think it's certainly an area that that needs to be addressed when uh, you know when we're when we're looking at the the emotional, the psychosocial, the financial, the the whole. It's it's just a different mindset. And so you already had your children by the time this was, I mean, you're current, you're, you have uh, five kids, one step, one stepson. Um, the four of them, they were born prior to your diagnosis? Yeah, I was, I was, uh, uh, I'm, I'm an overachiever, so I'm <laughs> out of the way early. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, um, so fertility was really not, I remember when I, I had a huge abdominal surgery uh, called an RPLMD and um and the doc told me that there was like a 75% chance uh, of, of being uh, sterile afterwards, and I, I remember thanking him for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the dark, macabre humor of cancer survivorship. Love it. So, so, so how, how did you find, did you, was it a lump? You felt uncomfortable? I mean, they obviously took you seriously, and it's really nice to know that the military took care of this for you the right kind of way. Uh, what were the indicators that got you there in the first place? Well, uh, and this, I, I love talking about this kind of thing, uh, not because I like talking about my testicles, but because um, by sheer dumb luck or fortune or maybe the way I was raised, I went and saw the doctor when I had first uh, uh, inkling of symptoms, 
which, you know, with our partners in Movember, something we're really trying to help change in the view of men's health is it, it's not enough to just be aware that you have symptoms. You also then have to take action. And so uh, I had pain down there, and uh, on the, the following uh, Monday I went to sick call and was fortunate to have a PA, a physician's assistant, who uh, recognized that this was something a little suspicious, uh, didn't even mention the word cancer, uh, but referred me to getting a, a sonogram uh, just in case, didn't say what it was for. Um, but I, I think that's something that we really, uh, we kind of have an obligation, especially to the current generation and future, that, that men kind of need to adopt this kind of uh, uh, same similar uh, a view of, of their health uh, and how they approach it, especially in preventative, by, by taking action and getting the, the proper checkups and things that you need that, that are age and family appropriate. So, again, always the underachiever. You pretty much immediately started a, a website for testicular cancer resources back when, like, websites were on, like, what, GeoCities and iVillage and what did Kenny, you, what did you have, Kenny? Angel Fire. Angel Fire, yes. Did you have to uh, learn the I, web? The way, the way I look at it, just to kind of like, I always think it's funny when someone says, you know that 1990 was not 10 years ago. It's almost 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, in 1996, there was not a lot of websites out there, and I was really frustrated that I could not find all the information that I needed in one place. And so I just thought, well, wouldn't that make sense that, that we need a kind of a one-stop shopping place that addresses not just uh, trusted, vetted medical information, but then also addresses emotional needs, spiritual needs, psychosocial needs, fertility things, I just thought it made sense, and it was the right thing to do. Well, yes, obviously, you you you, you seem to have had the inherent precociousness to dare to make that work when no one else was doing it. Well, and then, but the the whole field of then cancer survivorship, these practical issues that that we were very fortunate that here at Livestrong, we we literally helped kind of define that field. Uh, that didn't even really occur until like 1998, 1999. And so I think what we're now realizing is that the advances that we're seeing, thankfully, in the treatment of cancer and prolonging people's lives more and more and more, well, that just means that the practical issues around the cancer experience and navigating, you know, the bureaucracy and not being financially ruined by, by your, your treatment options and not losing your job and having to, all these things that, that were absolutely uh, secondary back when I think we were diagnosed, now we're becoming really even more and more important because we're seeing so much great success in the medical side of things and prolonging people's lives. So you were literally there. I don't. I, we, we make fun of the word literally, which now no longer means just literally. It also means figuratively. Uh, there, like on day one of when uh, Livestrong was born, right? Yes, I was at the very first uh, board meeting. We'd actually incorporated a little bit earlier, but at the very first board meeting presented, uh, the, I was the first website designer. Uh, at, it was funny. That's how we did stuff back in the day. I had interviewed Lance for the TCRC website, and, um, and he's like, he's talking about this little foundation he started, and I said, well, I'll be the web designer, and he went, okay. So, <laughs> that's how we, <laughs> literally how we did stuff back then. And, but I still remember that, that I mean, it, it's funny, there's a great tool 
um, called the Wayback Machine. Where I'm on, a, I'm on it right website. now. Yeah, we're on it yeah, right yeah. now. We're, we're on it right now making fun of ourselves. Yes, it's a very good thing to do. So, like, if you type in, like, laf.org or something like that, we basically had our logo. But even back then, we were like, you know, get help, support the foundation, uh, and here's some trusted links. You know, it still was very sound in, 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 in clarity and focus of what we were doing. So, and, and, that, and that, was the, that was the birthing of this huge movement that, like, to your credit and to your point, really changed the face of the way, I would say, consumers engage with each other in the healthcare system from a, from a lifestyle perspective, not a clinical perspective. I think what we found and, and, and what is becoming so important today is the importance of the, uh, the, the, the cancer patient, the survivor, in being empowered to be in charge of their, uh, of their medical situation and then what, uh, what leads on after that in terms of practical needs. And that's why we see great need for things like cancer navigation. We see great needs for... Uh, informed patients, because I remember within a week being asked, you know, what types of chemotherapy would I like? I had surgical options that I wanted. I, you know, I could barely spell testicular cancer a week before. I was pretty convinced. The only thing I knew about testicular cancer is that traffic cops got it from putting radar guns in their lap. Yeah, I remember That's that. Not true, I remember by that. The way. I know. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, here, you know, here, I'm being asked literally life and death decisions with no information. Exactly. And where were you actually treated? Uh, at a military hospital? Yes, I was treated at, uh, uh, it's called uh, Brook Army Medical Center, uh, which is a fantastic, most well-known for its burn unit uh, for the military, but it's a fantastic uh, uh, facility. And they were up on knowing what was the latest protocols coming out of Indiana University uh, with all those great guys up there. Uh, that literally, I mean, it's the holy grail of cancer research. When you, when you look at that. But still, what they were doing was treating my cancer only, and then once I was, you know, pretty much, quote-unquote, cured, just patting me on the butt and sending me out the door and, like, you know, have a good life, you know, good luck with that. Right, exactly. It's like uh, you give birth and they kick you out that night. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, you know, when we look at it's so good that Livestrong has really been able to clarify our mission so succinctly saying that we help people with cancer now. Uh, you know, research is very important. If it was not done and the discovery of platinum-based chemotherapy in the 70s, there's no Chris story. There's no Lance Armstrong story. We have a, we have a disease that has essentially a 90% death rate. Uh, and being advanced cancer, almost even worse than that. So, you know, the, the research we recognize is very important, but also the practical things, the knowledge about clinical trials databases and fertility options and how do you avoid going bankrupt and ruining your life, you know, that stuff is so important too. Well, I, I look back at how, you know, we, we had to maybe get survival rates or at least some standards to a certain point where you weren't dying immediately and maybe you were dying, if at all, you know, in a sort of a more prolonged where you have a chance to live. And then the, the dialogue or the narrative becomes it's not about – how long you live, well, that's important. It's about how you live. And that's what I think I look back. You know, I come from the agency world, so I, I live and breathe brands. And I don't think Stupid Cancer as a brand would be possible if Livestrong didn't accomplish what it did, you know, 
programmatically, anthropologically, culturally. You know, it was really a transformative thing. Uh, quick question. I know you were obviously a buff athletic guy in the military, but did you ever think you would be riding a bike cross-country a thousand times? <laughs> that was – it's funny because I started riding a bike before I met Lance, and uh, because the military, once they kicked me out of the hospital and said, get back on your life, well, then you also had to get back on the physical program as well. And so they said, you can walk for a couple of months, and then you've got a choice. You either have to start running or riding a bike. And at the time, I hated running. So I went and bought a $99 Schwinn and started riding around the base and, and discovered a love for the sport. And so I think it's been a, a great blessing to be able to combine two of my biggest passions, uh, cycling and helping in the cancer community, uh, and still be able to make that into a second career. And, and kudos for that. So let, let us know, what, what do you do as Deputy Director of External Affairs? It's quite the title. I, I'm very proud of that title. I, they wouldn't let me have Vice Duke. That was the one I was, <laughs> I was hoping for. Archbishop. Um, but what, what, what I get to do, and I'm really, really blessed, is help tell our story. Uh, and we do that through a variety of ways. Uh, I'm currently uh, running the social media, uh, um, for the most part, for Liz Strong. And then uh, I also get to create a ton of content, whether that's writing our blogs, uh, shooting videos, doing photography, uh, helping manage our Envoy and Ambassador program. Uh, it, it's looking for ways that we can uh, uh, elevate the mission of the foundation, but then also, this is what I really like, is elevate other people who are doing great work as well. Uh, we've got a great brand. It's got a lot of, uh, uh, of oomph, and so why not use that to elevate the great work that other people are doing as well? So we got a few minutes left. I, I would like you to end with, I know you guys released a big up. Uh, publicity around your blog called After the Fall. And it, we have a great platform here to share a lot of truths and real realities with people out there. I have always taken the position that the sins of the man are far outweighed by the deeds of the brand. And again, I, I, we would not be who we are as an organization, you know, rallying millions of people without you guys having set the precedent that A, it's okay to do that, but B, people are receptive to that and that's what they want. So can you comment a little bit on, on what this whole narrative is about after a really difficult year? Sure. I, I mean, when, first off, we do not try and hide from our history. Were it not for Lance's vision saying, I don't want people to have to go through what I'm doing, there is no Live Strong Foundation. And so I, I don't, no one gets to fake beating cancer, as we all know. Um, but now it's time to think about, where are we going and where are we going to be moving forward into? And it's a really cool story because we've got a couple of really exciting things coming up where in addition to things like survivorship and navigation and Live Strong at the YMCA and these other cool programs we have, uh, we've got a couple of really big places that we're moving into in the coming year and the future, one of them being a division that's going to focus on uh, building free applications and programs uh, for cancer survivors. So what if you had the greatest clinical trials database on your iPhone and it was in a language you could understand? I mean, that would be totally cool. Um, and then the other thing, which we look to hopefully announce later in uh, the year, is going to be a, a partnership with a major medical institution. Um, could it be called the Livestrong Cancer Center? Could it be called something else? We'll see. But how about the idea of a truly patient-centered care facility where the patient absolutely feels that all of their needs are being met from treatment, 
through survivorship issues, and then also how they are just in general treated by the medical community. Yeah, I was out there a couple of weeks ago when I saw you, and I was really impressed with the vision and uh, so the reorchestration, if you would, that, that the organization is going through. So kudos to that. My final question, as a alumni of the young adult cancer survivor world, what are your, what are your, and I'll be an alumni in May, so we're in the same club, what are your thoughts on the amazing progress being made because of the movement and case in point being the fact that there is now a hospital in Seattle as part of Seattle Children's specifically for young adults? Well, I think what you have to look at is it's essentially been an ignored demographic. I mean, great strides have been made in pediatric uh, cancer care. I mean, it, it could be argued not across the board, but a lot of it is almost cookbook medicine. Uh, and then, of course, there's great strides being made with the focus on, on the elderly community. So it's, it's kind of like the cancer community has discovered uh, like an untapped resource where they can start to focus their, uh, their, their attention that has, that has not received, the, you know, at least in the last 25 years, the attention that it has. But I also think it's really important that, uh, and I'm sure that Salika is going to be able to talk a lot about this, the impact of social media and the voice that the young adult cancer community has is unprecedented. And so if the cancer community at large wasn't going to recognize them, we have a big enough drum that we can bang now that you can't ignore them because young adults are, are, are the best users of social media. All right. We've been speaking with Chris Brewer, a 17-year testicular cancer survivor, one of the original founders of the Livestrong Foundation, Deputy Director of External Affairs. Chris, thank you so much. You could tweet at Chris at LivestrongCB, right? That would be me. Thanks for uh, having me on tonight, and thanks for all you guys do. So, uh, as always, live strong. Take care of yourself, buddy. Chris Brewer, everybody. Okay, let's get to the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. For the first time in 2014, head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org. Your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening here in Echo of the Woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Where do I begin? All right, tomorrow night in Durham, North Carolina, and in no particular order, Riverside, Riverside California. I went real New York on that one. New York City, Orlando, Rochelle Park, New Jersey. Denver, Colorado, Anchorage, Alaska, Tempe, Arizona, Egan, Minnesota, and Evanston, Wyoming. Wow. All right, Vegas time. Registration for the 7th Annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults is open for business. Come to the largest young adult cancer conference in the world and join 500 of your fellow young adult patients, survivors, and caregivers for an epic three-and-a-half-day event that will change your life. Visit OMG 2014. Org to learn more, and don't forget about the OMG Players Club, your path to a $600 travel scholarship just by fundraising for stupid cancer. It's always a good time to stock up on stupid cancer gear. We've got all new products and styles to choose from. Polar Vortex, be damned, you'll stay nice and, uh, nice and warm in a stupid cancer hoodie. Surf on over to stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud, wear stupid cancer. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. Got that nailed down. At least we have one thing going for us. <laughs> That's all we got. All right, it is time now for the epic battle of the of the stars. 
Suleika Jawad is an Emmy Award winning, Emmy Award winning, Emmy Award winning New York Times Well columnist and the author of Life Interrupted, diagnosed with a one-two punch that is myodysplastic syndrome and acute myeloid leukemia, Gesundheit, three years ago at the age of 22. After countless rounds of chemotherapy, a life-saving clinical trial, and a bone marrow transplant, she's an underachiever. She's now cancer-free and continuing to make the most of a life interrupted. Joining Suleika, her longtime boyfriend, an amazing guy all around, Seamus McKiernan. He's good-looking. He's good-looking. Editor-in-chief of the Huffington Post and co-founder of Generation Y. Uh, not editor-in-chief, editor at the Huffington Post. I gave you a raise. <laughs> Congratulations, Ariana. Uh, Generation Y, the Huffington Post uh, blogging platform for young adult cancer survivors and caregivers. Please welcome Seamus McKiernan and Suleika Jawad. Hey. I'm going to have to talk to your Hi, HR guys. department about that upgrade. Sorry about that. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm so sorry you couldn't be with us tonight, but obviously health first and... Uh, we want you guys to be happy, safe, and, and warm. Well, we we love it. By the way, can I get an extra long stupid cancer tea? I um, a tall tea. I need you a, want a stupid cancer extra tall. tall. Tea? Kenny will staple two together for you. Yeah, as long as you send us <laughs> a picture. For you, <laughs> I was gonna say as long as you don't know Seamus, he's yeah. six foot seven. Yeah, so nothing fits him. He is. <laughs> Uh, I will quilt one together for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, we. Why don't we get him a toga? Well, well, you know, you can use the 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 table throw. How's that? Yes, the table throw that we use at conferences. We have a lot of great options for you. Yeah, <laughs> it could be like a poncho. We'll cut a hole in the top. <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen. I like your. I've seen your gear. I can dig it. No, it's good stuff. Kenny gets full credit. I appreciate it. Uh, I'll give you a basketball jersey. How about that? Okay. Extra long. Yeah, we'll do that. All right. Fantastic. Well, I'm really, really <laughs> excited. Uh, so, like, the last time you were here was 2011, uh, right pretty much after our first date, uh, or 2012, I forget, maybe two years ago, after our first date in the hospital. And um, you've come a long way. A, you're alive, which is amazing and wonderful and fantastic. But your journey has... Right, a nice park. Yeah, that's the best part, of course. <laughs> but more importantly... But more importantly, <laughs> who cares that you're alive? The part is, you, you've really become a, a true uh, beacon of, of wisdom that has advanced the movement in a way that I could have never anticipated. And uh, I hope you give yourself a lot of ownership for being the unwitting victim of success. How's that sound? That was, that was beautiful. Thank you. Um, it's been a crazy journey. Matt was my first cancer date, so to speak. Um, and I was my second day in the bone marrow, actually it was my third day in the bone marrow transplant unit at Memorial Sloan Kettering, and my column in the New York Times had just launched. But I didn't know anyone in the cancer world. I didn't know what stupid cancer was. I didn't have any cancer friends, and I was really unprepared uh, for this amazing platform that Life Interrupted has given me. Um, so almost overnight, I got flooded with these emails, some of them from other young adult cancer patients on the same floor as me. And it was this incredible moment of realizing that there are a lot of us. There are 72,000 of us who get diagnosed this year. And so many of the issues that I felt so alone in dealing with uh, were actually pretty universal. So that was cool. And it was cool of you to come visit me. Yeah, I remember I had to get scrubbed up and wear the whole, like, army gear thing, the, you know, and... And I met your six foot seven boyfriend. The hazmat suit. I met the hazmat suit. Yes, exactly. And I met Seamus right then and there. I'm like, oh, he's tall. Bye. 
<laughs> pretty much our interaction <laughs> for those 10 seconds right there. Um, but uh, why don't we start, I mean, you obviously, people know who you are, but I, I love when you retell your story of how you were initially diagnosed and the symptoms going on being in Paris and, and coming to New York. It's really important that that stays, you know, the, the baseline for how you became who you are today. Hmm. So in the summer of 2010, I had just graduated from college. Um, I accepted my first job abroad in Paris as a paralegal, uh, which wasn't exactly what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. But at the time, being a writer uh, was kind of like saying you want to be an NBA basketball player when you grow up. It didn't sound very real. Hey, that's still possible. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that, Seamus. Um and I just met this really great guy um, who turned out to be Seamus. And I, I moved to Paris. Uh, Seamus moved out and joined me. And I started to wake up with what felt like a permanent hangover. And this went on for weeks and weeks. And I went to see a few doctors. And I was told I had anemia and sent home with iron pills. And then I ended up getting hospitalized for a few times for different infections. And finally my body just started to fall apart. I woke up one morning and I could barely get out of bed. Uh, and at that point, Seamus insisted that we go uh, to the hospital and to really do a full run-up of tests. And I was admitted to the American hospital in Paris for a week. And they did every possible test under the sun except for a bone marrow biopsy. And I was discharged with a diagnosis of something called uh, burnout, burnout syndrome. And if you haven't heard of burnout syndrome, there's probably a good reason why, because it's not a real diagnosis. Um, and I was told to kind of go home and rest and to change my lifestyle and just stop burning the candle at both ends. Uh, but the more I lay in bed and the more I rested, the more exhausted I began to feel. Um, and as my body began to deteriorate, luckily Seamus was there because you know it's really time for you to go to the hospital when you're too tired to imagine getting yourself from your apartment to the hospital. Um, and when I went back to the hospital in Paris, my blood counts had taken a massive nosedive. Um, and I was told I needed to board, board a plane within the next 24 hours, otherwise I wouldn't be allowed uh, to get on the plane if my blood counts got too low. Even so, it took another month for me to finally get this bone marrow biopsy um, that led to my diagnosis of advanced stage leukemia. And unfortunately, I think this is the story of many young adults who are often misdiagnosed for months and months. Uh, in some ways, getting that diagnosis was a relief. And it, you know, I started to wonder if I'd become hypochondriac or if I was going a little crazy. And it was a relief to know that all these things that I was feeling, um, or that I was feeling these things for a very good reason. Right, and and that the, the irony being like, thank God it's cancer, and that I'm not crazy, right? Like it's that aha moment where you're glad it's something, and it sucks that it is what it is. But how many months can you be told Correct. there's nothing wrong with you, right? So, right there with you, right, yeah. exactly. So what possessed you to start writing? Because I, I, my understanding that you were not a writer prior to this, and you just decided to start writing, correct? 
True. I was an aspiring writer. So the first time I ever wrote or shared anything publicly was in the ninth grade uh, with this English teacher I had who assigned a short story for extra credit. And I worked so hard on the short story, and I'm so proud of it, and I turned it in. And when she handed back the assignments, I noticed that she had handed back everyone's assignments except for mine. And I thought that was kind of weird. Uh, but my arrogant, you know, 13 or 14-year-old self thought that maybe she was waiting for a one-on-one to really tell me how much she loved my story. Um, and later that day, I got summoned to the school psychiatrist's office who wanted to discuss the content of my story with me. Uh, So that was a a traumatic moment for me as a writer. Sure, of course. (laughs) Um, And it did not make me want to continue sharing. And um, that was true for the first six months after my diagnosis. I, you know, cancer was not something that made me want to share. It was something that made me want to hide. And I told a few of my friends, but really other than Seamus and my family and my very best friends, I wasn't talking about it. And I didn't know how to talk about it then. Um, and there's something strange about having to move back home uh, when you've just graduated from college and you've worked so hard for your independence. Uh, but something about that isolation and something about those long months I spent in the hospital allowed me turn my ears inward and to kind of start doing what I felt like doing. Uh, It was the only time in my life maybe where I had zero expectations from my parents or from anyone else for that matter. And I just started to write for myself in a diary and I found it comforting and cathartic. Um, So I started a WordPress blog and, you know, the internet is a wonderful thing in that, it's never been easier uh, to self-publish or to be a writer, but it's also never been harder to get paid to write. Correct. And I, I started this WordPress blog, Secrets of Cancerhood, and about three or four weeks later, uh, Tara Parker Pope, the editor of the Well blog on the New York Times, came across to my blog and reached out to me. Uh, so this is totally unexpected, and it was a really uh, amazing dream come true. Um, and it was also a lesson, and, you know, I'd spent so many years trying to be a certain kind of writer, trying to have a certain kind of success, and the one time that I'd stopped trying, uh, this really amazing, fortunate thing happened. Um, so my column launched my second day in the Bone Marrow Transplant Unit, um, and Seamus was incredibly encouraging and helpful throughout that entire process. So let's get to the big guy. Hello, Seamus. You and I... You know, we're we're personal friends, but I, the audience, you know, I, we've talked about this. Your role is, you know, the magnanimous, you know, hero and and caregiver, and you're still here, kind of guy. We hear all these tragic stories of abandonment and and whatnot in relationships and young adults, and you know, that's kind of par for the course sometimes. But you've been here, you stuck with it, and you're a tough guy. And I would love you to talk about your strength and how you've been able to. Uh, sort of navigate this as her, as her boyfriend, as her friend, as her partner all this time. Sure. Well, thank you, and I appreciate that. Um, what one thing that's funny or or curious is no one 
thinks they're going to be a, quote, cancer patient, and no one thinks of them that they're going to be a caregiver. So these are all, we use terms to define ourselves sort of after the fact sometimes. So the truth is that when Suleika was diagnosed, I also felt, and I think this is true of a lot of caregivers when um, any type of disease, is you also take a hit and you also react. And, of course, you're not the one with the disease, but but it affects you greatly and your life changes and all these things. So um, I've, I guess now, uh, three years later almost, I think of myself as a caregiver and as Sue Lake's boyfriend um, and, and all these things, but I've learned that, the, that what a caregiver means, um, I've learned quite a lot about it. And, uh, for example, I think it's nice for people to tell you that you're um, strong and, and good to be helping, but also um, it's good especially to say to other people who are in a caregiver role that it can be really difficult and hard on, on yourself because often emotionally you have to see um, the person you love and are caring for going through such hard time and they have doctors and people helping them. And you don't always. So that's one thing I, I always try to tell other caregivers. And Stupid Cancer has done a good job also raising that awareness. So it's a, something that I've talked to you all about before. But that's an important thing. Um, you've had caregivers on the show other times talking about that, haven't you? Yeah, as a matter of fact, in the evolution of the brand and our community, over one-third of everything we do is caregiver-related. So it, it, we are truly in, in trying to involve you know, an underserved, underappreciated, underrepresented group of the unsung heroes. And uh, it it really is a testament that you're serving this role. You know, like I said, the role you were, we always say joke, like you're drafted into the club that no one wants to belong to, and that's the same for caregivers too. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about how you were able to kind of make, move and shake the system a bit to get the Huffington Post to adopt the incredibly influential platform of Generation Y. Cool. Yes. So one, I would say, Suleika talked about how she wrote, and this was a response to a crisis. And I also like to write, and I work at the Huffington Post. Um, so we were both kind of kicking things into gear. Uh, something you do in crisis is sometimes just got to put your head down and and actually do something meaningful to sort of push back against it. But also, I knew very little about cancer. So when I started to learn more about it, meet people like you, Stupid Cancer Community, and other young people, I it clicked, and it was an obvious idea. I'm an editor at a big online newspaper, and I've discovered that there are lots of young people with with these narratives and blogs and journaling and stories to tell about having cancer at a young adult age and they don't have one one kind of main outlet and I so looking back it's fairly obvious to me but what I did was sort of have to figuratively and literally knock on some doors here at the Huffington Post and and say this is important this is important um, and as anyone knows who wants who has an idea or as an activist or any type of thing is people don't always see what you're talking about right away. But a testament to this place, this newspaper, is that it's really big. It covers, you know, 
politics 24/7, um, also sports, covers some healthy living, and even you know the Golden Globes last night. But at the same time, there's a lot of space, both literally uh, on the internet on the Huffington Post, but also I think in the minds of the people who I was working with, the other editors, and they said, yeah, this makes sense. Although it did take sort of several months of saying. And I had to get together a lot of people who are potential bloggers, young people from age 18, about um, college students to, to people in their 30s and 40s. And I put together and I said, now look, look how many people there are. And then there were reported news pieces that accompanied this. And what we did, we rolled out, I guess it's about, about a year ago, um, we rolled out Generation Y, W-H-Y, um, if anyone knows my Twitter, I like very sort of straightforward puns, so this was a play on words, but I think that it really makes some sense. One of the things about the why is, of course, the why of getting cancer, but also some of the mystery of why so many young people are getting this and that it's not kind of the obvious story that it seems to all of us who are on the inside. Because young people, as we know, experience a lot of different things um, in their teens, 20s, and 30s when they get cancer that like dating, trying to go to school, having your first job, figuring out who you are. So Generation Y then became a platform for, for hundreds of blogs dealing with those subjects. And now um, it's the talk of this place. It's the only place on the Internet of its sort of scale and kind that's publishing um, these voices, and it's a sort of resounding success. And uh, the URL for that, we created a shortcut at stupidcancer.org slash HuffPost. And that'll take you right nice. there. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought I, you were going to say stupidcancer.org slash Seamus Puns. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right, right. So, so like, uh, as, as a young adult survivor going through this, I mean, again, we've talked about this a lot, but the, the, the movement itself, and it really has become a movement. It used to just be like this rhetoric to say that has fostered so much meaningful change in the sort of the standards of care and the best practices of, uh, of young adults. And I mentioned that at the end of Chris's interview that there's even now a, a hospital in Seattle just for young adults. And there are over 20 young adult clinics at other centers around the country. It really has become something extraordinary. But how do you feel having your boyfriend sort of be such a catalyst unbeknownst to facilitate a platform like Generation Y and what it has meant to you? I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful to Seamus in so many ways. Uh, cancer is not exactly something that you're going to put in, um, put on your OkCupid okay profile. It's <laughs> not exactly a turn-on. It's not, you know, I really didn't know what to expect when I first got diagnosed. We had been seeing each other for about six months. Um, and he's been there for me every single step of the way. I've never spent a night in the hospital alone because he's slept in a cot by my side. Um, he's just been such a pillar of support and strength for me. Uh, but it was pretty incredible to see, you know, he was seeing me writing my column and seeing how much it helped me and realizing that uh, there were so many other voices out there and there wasn't a platform for them to share their voices. Um, but it was amazing for him, for me to see him own that. That cancer is not something that we chose, and um, and he certainly 
didn't choose it. Uh, but he found a way within his own work and within who he is to incorporate that um, and to help so many other young people. I've heard such amazing testimonials from other young adult cancer survivors and patients um, who talk just about how amazing it is to have an outlet, not only to share their blogs and their videos and their photographs, but to connect with other young people. All right, we got a, a bunch of we have about ten minutes left. I, I want to talk a little bit more about what your life has become because of this popularity. You're speaking at lots of engagements now. You're representatives of many other nonprofit organizations. Uh, where's your journey been taking you, and what what are you what are your takeaways for what this exposure has given? Wow, I mean, it's been a crazy roller coaster ride for me. Um, I think that. You know, when I when I started writing my column, I had a 35% chance of surviving my bone marrow transplant. So I wasn't really looking into the future. It was hard for me to see past two or three weeks, if that. Um, and I just did not expect. Uh, I didn't. I didn't expect the exposure uh, that writing this column gave me. Um, if anyone. You know, anyone who knows me can say that I'm terrified of public speaking, and I always have been. Um, and the funny thing about what I do now is that I'm on the road almost every week, speaking at hospitals, speaking at universities, speaking at wellness centers. I was just in Los Angeles last week giving a speech at a life science uh, company and then um, consulting on a new TV show called Chasing Life, which will be on ABC Family and is about a young woman who's 22 years old who is an aspiring journalist and gets leukemia. Sounds like Kenny. Um, so this, yeah, does that remind you of anyone? Yeah, it's, it's, it's Kenny's story, totally. Exactly. Do you exactly. think Kenny and I can get a, a speaking role on there? <laughs> yeah, Kenny maybe, wants a walk-along. Why would you like your speaking role to be? <laughs> maybe we can have a food truck that this girl uh, <laughs> buys from. <laughs> Seamus's head will pop out the top. I'll work, I'll work on that. <laughs> okay, great. You know that you, all you have to do is say one word, and I think you have a chance to be in the Screen Actors Guild. Very yeah, nice. get a card and we everything. Just, we just say the word hot dog or something. <laughs> <laughs> we can share an IMDb profile. Yeah, exactly. Phenomenal. So, all right, so you're actually working on yeah. your own pseudo-autobiography television series. Sort of. Somewhat. Um, so that's been kind of exciting. But it's, all of this has been such new and uncharted territory for me, whether it's um, contributing radio segments to public speaking, uh, to writing for different outlets um, like women's magazines. I think um, the biggest project that I'm working on right now is a book, which I'm very superstitious. So I'm going to be incredibly vague about what it is. Um, I can tell you what it's not about. It's not about the NFL. It's not about the NBA. It's not about. Um, but yes, the, well, that's the too bad. That's not the direction you should go. Is it about cancer yeah, vampires? Well, it's about, it's about vampires. Cancer yeah. vampires. No. Yes. Spoiler um, alert. Okay. That would be smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the cancer vampire diaries. Yes. You know what I should say? Uh, to add, to go back to the chasing life thing, which. Um, I think is so interesting is, uh, and I don't know how that show will turn out and much about it, but it's good to see that they're relying on people who have experienced these things. And it, um, 
it shows at least kind of a base level um, attention to the reality and some of the truth um, and details of what really goes on because I think, as we know, um, cancer's dramatized and cancer's used um, as the big scary thing in entertainment often. And it is a scary thing, but it's often used kind of like a hammer in um, popular culture. So we'll see how this show is, but I think it's cool that they're working with um, people who have gone through that. Yeah, and they're working very hard to make it as accurate and as true uh, to experiences like mine as possible. Right, so one might ask, we got five minutes left, one might ask, if you're cancer-free now, why are you still on chemo? That's a great question that I hear people... Question. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's kind of like, but you look, you don't look sick. What's wrong with you, right? Right, right. So as a lot of people tuning in uh, can attest to, I think even when your cancer ends and you're done with treatment and you're pronounced in remission, it doesn't really end. Um, and that was true for me. I've been cancer-free since my bone marrow transplant a year and a half ago. Uh, I'm at a very, very high risk of relapse due to some chromosomal abnormalities that, ha- that I have. And what that means is that I have to do a week of IV chemo every three weeks um, in order to keep the cancer at bay. So these words, cancer-free, remission, cured, um, they can feel a little confusing sometimes, and that's certainly true for me. Um, but I feel so much stronger than I did Matthew when we first met, um, and so much has changed since then. With a bone marrow transplant, I now have my younger brother Adam's uh, blood type. I am no longer allergic to peanut butter, um, which I'm really excited about, but I have all of his allergies. And <laughs> my DNA is his. <laughs> so a lot of things have changed in my life, not just on a professional level, um, but but within my body as well. Um, but I feel very optimistic about the future. Good. Do you know that I used to just roundly destroy Suleika at Scrabble, which is one of our favorite pastimes? <laughs> uh, and of course, with a lot of downtime in hospitals, we actually just we played a lot of it, and um, and I didn't feel bad about it at all, even when she was in the hospital bed. You know, I had had to win. Um, but but lately, for several months, I've just been getting beaten, and it's and I got to announce that it's. Uh, it's a good sign, but it's been tough for me. Well, <laughs> a moment for Seamus, please. It's a funny thing. I went, I went on a morphine drip uh, during my transplant for a lot of pain that I was having, and as soon as I went on this morphine drip, I just started routinely killing him <laughs> in travel. <laughs> so some kind of switch went off in my head. <laughs> And I tell, if any of you want to play Scrabble with me, I, I welcome you to the challenge. We'll be sure to get painkillers first before we play you. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I want to ask you a quick question. Um, I think both of you have been following today uh, the Lisa Adams story that's been going on on Twitter. Um, and it's something that I have been a little bit in the know on just throughout what I've followed today. Um, but I know both of you have been reacting to it. Could you guys talk about that a little bit um, and about, you know, the nature of sharing your your this cancer experience publicly and have you like lisa faced criticism or people saying that you shouldn't do it so just to give a little bit of background um to the listeners today there is an op-ed column uh today in the new york times written by bill keller uh 
that was extremely controversial in the way that it questioned uh, a young mother, Lisa Adams. Um, I questioned the way she was live tweeting her experience with metastatic breast cancer. Um, and a lot of people were very offended by his take on what she's doing. Um, but to me, it's kind of a, a larger discussion and uh, of what role cancer plays in our language and just our national dialogue today. And I think that although we've come incredibly far, it's still stigmatized, especially when we're talking about metastatic cancers and, and terminal illness. Uh, we want success stories, especially the media wants those happy ending stories. And the reality of it is um, that, that those, have, those stories don't always end happily um, or they don't always end the way we want them to. And I won't speak for Lisa Adams, but I'll speak for myself and just say that social media has been such an incredibly important part of my life and my recovery. I've uh, met this entire online community of people who are going through what I'm going through, who have been through what I'm going through. Um, and many of my closest friends are people that I met through Twitter or through Facebook. And I really think that it's an incredible way that didn't exist just 15 years ago for people to get resources and advice um, or simply to talk about what they're dealing with in a way that they couldn't before. Seamus, I don't know if you want to add to it. I know that yeah, you well, I would just add a segment on the topic today. Yeah, um, there was. Um, I helped produce a HuffPost Live, which is our streaming channel, which is kind of cool because we take instead of guests who are big name, high profile people like on CNN or MSNBC, it's anyone who wants to um, be to uh, you know tap in through a Google Hangout or Skype video, and so it was a lively discussion about these topics, and I thought that was great. And mostly the conclusion was that yes it's really heavy but more discussion is is needed not not stifling it and as far as generation y which is you know hundreds of regular bloggers blogging about what it's like to be a young person with cancer there's a lot of power in that so of course m my sort of personal view is is um that i took some i was taken aback a little bit by the by keller's column um and think that he may have been trying to make a point that didn't come through and, and picking on someone who's, um, you know, dealing with her experience in her own way. And, and we know Lisa and, and like her, and it's, uh, certainly difficult, difficult to, um, a time for her, but she's also very honest and that kind of honesty is refreshing and it's also her way. So I think she should do it. Well, it, opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. <laughs> <laughs> Seamus, I just want to point out that someone tweeted at me saying that you mispronounced my name on the show. What's that all about? Gotta love social media. It, no, it was a it was a um, layered joke because it it was because you had said on Twitter earlier that some people when you were growing up called you Sri Lanka because they <laughs> couldn't pronounce your name. It's true. And then I think someone must have you know been joking that I wasn't saying Sri Lanka, but uh, the truth <laughs> is we both have names that people kind of stumble over, especially when they're written. Yeah. Cancer is scary, but there's real fear in the eyes of English speakers when they're first pronounced to like an and Seamus in a row. Exactly. It's a little much. 
All right, so we're, we're out of time, but I, I, this isn't really a question, but I just want to reinforce that you won an Emmy, and that's kind of ridiculous <laughs> and cool. Thank you. Yeah. It's incredibly <laughs> real. It's amazing. pretty amazing. I dedicate your Emmy to Kenny. Our little dog, he actually tries to... Um, he tries to bite the statue. So <laughs> does he yeah, have a? That's true. It's his, his newest chew toy. <laughs> does he have a book deal yet? <laughs> we're, we're, we're working, working on, on it. it. He has a Twitter account. So nice. We're those crazy dog people. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'm I'm really proud of you guys. Uh, you what? It was clearly like not, you know, intentional. But whatever choices you happen to have made in the last three years have made such a tremendous difference and I know you're aware of it but I want you to really appreciate how much everyone else has benefited from what you've done to enhance the movement and and take some real ownership and pride in uh, how you've chosen to get busy living thank you Matt we appreciate it thanks a lot alright so only the best in health and love and life happy new year we've been speaking with Suleika Jawad Emmy award winning your Times Well columnist and her boyfriend Seamus McKiernan editor of Healthy Living and Generation Y and Huffington Post. Thank you both so much for joining us here on the show. Have a great night. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Good show. Hello? Hello. <laughs> we did it. Yes, we did it. We've still got it, guys. Episode one of the Stupid Cancer Show. It's not complete. <laughs> I was waiting for something to break. <laughs> Exactly. Well, a definitely a good show. We're going to send out a shout out to Lisa Adams tonight that we're, we got her got her got her back and we're on her side. Team and Lisa and yeah. our our lovely missing in action co-host. Andy yes, Goodman. and all of our love and hope and strength. Uh, the amazing and talented Andy Goodman, who is home now, recovering after brain surgery from her metastatic disease, and we wish her nothing but the best and uh, uh, hopefully a swift and safe return back to normalcy. So. Uh, with that, it is now time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks. That's our show, kicking off season number 14. Uh-huh. Crazy. With our 291st broadcast, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. We'd like to thank our guests once again, Chris Brewer from Livestrong and Suleika Jawad and Seamus McKiernan. Next week's show, What the Hell is Immunotherapy? Join us as we welcome leadership from the Cancer Research Institute. Brian Brewer, the Director of Marketing, and Alexis Feldman, Chair of the uh, CRI's Young Philanthropists. We'll find out what that is next week to talk about the latest on immunotherapy and personalized medicine. Survivor Spotlight on advocate blogger extraordinaire Dan Duffy, co-founder of the Half Fund. All right, if you've uh, enjoyed listening to the show, you might want to subscribe to our broadcast anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes, Podcasts, and Blog Talk Radio. Check us out anytime at stupidcancer.org and stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live for the Chemo Deck, on behalf of Annie Goodman, Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here live next Monday at 8 p.m. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>